Hello and welcome back to Just Ride Bikes podcast. Today we are talking all things gravel. Is it a fad? What is the spirit of gravel? Is gravel racing getting too serious? And many more questions. And to help me answer these questions, I am joined by Ben Delaney, a Colorado-based journalist with over 20 years experience writing for the biggest publications. So let's dive in. So Ben, it's been a, a couple of weeks since Unbound. I'm sure you've managed to pull the last bits of mud out of your ears and, uh, and drive train. Can you give us an idea of what that event was like and, and talk more generally about the event and its sort of impact and place in the US gravel scene? Yeah, hey David, hey everybody. Yes, I was still just as of last night washing mud out of a, the cracks of the helmet where I thought it was, <laughs> I cleaned everything, but yeah, I'll be finding it for, for days and months to come. Uh, yeah, Unbound Gravel is, it's a thing. For sure, it's a thing. Uh, you know, formerly Dirty Kansas, it is the biggest gravel race in the world, and for good reason. You know, it's the two hundred miler is is the marquee event uh, where we saw record times this year. But there's everything from a twenty five mile like gravel taster uh, up to the XL three hundred fifty miles of nonstop nonsense, fully unsupported. Uh, it's you know a test of stubbornness and how much your gut can handle eating at gas stations at three in the morning as much as it is uh, yikes pedaling a bicycle. So. <laughs> so it sounds more because from the UK or from my point of view, it's, we hear about the racing and the sprint finishes for the ex pros and pro roadies. Yes, but it sounds from your description it's more accessible. It's a shorter event and a longer event, so a bit of everything, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the gravels routes uh, were you know largely in like an ultra endurance format, but very much from an every person, every man, every woman perspective. It was like, you know, Unbound Gravel started with a couple dozen friends kind of daring each other. Like, hey, hey, dude, we think we could do that. That's crazy. Like, you know, sort of like the start of uh, Iron Man, that sort of, you know, it's not like it began as a giant corporate athletic thing. It's not like the UCI gathered together and drew up plans. It was just friends. Um, and, and the idea was just that can normal people go for an absurdly long time on rough services on bicycles poorly designed for it. So sort of like long form cyclocross, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, I, it, the, the roots and the bulk of the sport, if you want to call it a sport, it's always been about normal folks. Um, and only recently it's has even the idea of a pro gravel racer become a thing um it seems like gravel's got very serious and very fast very <laughs> recently and an influx of ex pros and current pros that, and it feels like gravel in the u.s from my perspective and i know you probably put me wrong here it's um it's about racing and winning but is that the case as my wife has taught me to say, yes, and not yes, but, but yes, and you can have multiple things existing simultaneously. And, you know, one analogy we often give for gravel racing is it's like a, mar- it's like a running event, you know, a mar- whether that's a marathon or a 5k or a 10k, or, you know, often affectionately referred to as mullet racing or mullet events, you know, business at the front party at the back at the front. Yes, there are skinny people who go very quickly and are there to win. And now we're seeing the large price purses lifetime, the, uh, which owns a number of gyms here in the U S it has put on a, a six event series called the grand prix where there's a quarter million dollars up for grabs. So yeah, there's, there's serious racing. Um, 
which is cool. And just like at, you know, a, a 5k or a 10k or a marathon, if you're just a person trying to finish like myself, when I do a running event, it's just, if I can get my carcass to the finish line, that's a success. Um, <laughs> it's still neat to see the world's best do it at that level at the same event. So you can, you know, like here in Boulder, we've got the, the Boulder Boulder, which is a 10 K race and I'll do like a normal time. And then you go see what these elite athletes are doing. Like what, how, how, what, you know, just, you know, watching something on television or even as a, as a fan, watching people go by, you get a sense of speed, but when you do a thing yourself and then elite athlete does that very same thing, it's, it's real world context. So I think like all this exists at the same time. And I think unbound is a great example of that. And we in the media um, are you know, put most of the focus on the front of the race, yeah, you know, because for, for a number of reasons, um, but it's, it is a single digit percentage of the overall thing. And you know, what sustains it as a business is normal folks who are saving up their money to come and do it as like a, you know, certainly like a once a year, maybe once in a lifetime thing. Um, and I love the, the eclectic nature of people and, you know, body types and ages and bicycle configurations, you know, like lining up last year, there was a rain delay. So we were all huddling. A lot of us were huddled under a uh, church overhang. And there was like on one side of me was a dude in a skin suit and arrow helmet and, you know, like in it to win it. And on another <laughs> Uh, other side was a woman from Kansas who had on tennis shoes and trainers, as you call them wow. on a fat bike. And I was like, well, that, that's, 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 uh, that's something. She's like, well, I'm going to be out there all day. I want to be comfortable. So, you know, so I, I don't, uh, to give you a long winded answer to a short question is gravel serious. Yes. Uh, and at some events at the front. Um, but I, I still think the the bulk of gravel is still a very healthy, participatory, let's just see if we can do this um, type environment that is still so fundamentally different from road racing, which is you know, like my past and I still love. But you know, in a road race, <clears throat> you sign up and you're in different categories, right? So men are never going to race with women. I race old guys, so I'm never going to race with the young kids. You know, it's, we're all segmented out. And the people in the front, you know, off the, off the front are having one experience. The people in the pack are having another experience. And then the guy who just got dropped and is off the back wondering why he got up early to drive an hour to feel bad about himself is having a fundamentally different experience. Um, in gravel, there's so many people here, like, a, like at a big marathon, it's sure that like technically there will always be one person at the very back, but there's, there's so many, it's such a long string of humanity. There's always, you know, you can people where you can get in where you fit in. And it's, uh, again, like with a running event for most people, just finishing it is the thing. So people who are there with you are, uh, booing you along f from both just like the physiological, like of a draft perspective, but also like a mental perspective, like you're all trying to finish. You're not, yelling at each other about chopping wheels in the last corner of a office park criterium. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> it, it does sound I'm like it. <laughs> yeah. it it's, a, it's a shame almost like the media do focus on the, the winners and not so much the, the many stories I imagine that happen 
way back in the middle of the pack or at the back of the pack and some of the characters like the lady and the fat boy and their adventure and their experience from it um some people talk about uh gravel spirit i mean <laughs> what is, what is that and and this is sort of serious racing focus is that harming the gravel spirit in the US. Well, let us let us hold a seance now, David. We can summon <laughs> the spirit of gravel into the podcast and, and let it speak for itself as to what are you, spirit of gravel? Yeah, it's that's a yeah, it's it's something we like to make fun of, and and part of it comes from the roots of gravel, where it, yeah, it's just friends or acquaintances putting on an ad hoc event and the idea was not to have a heavily regulated thing where you had to have a a license and like all these different things um and i think so that's that's the spirit of gravel it's like good natured competitions like if you're playing pickup basketball with your friends like you don't need to have a referee referee like let's just not be jerk faces like that's just that's that's what it's operating on where it gets tricky is when you have things like a quarter million dollars up for grabs okay, and people are trying to win. <laughs> um, and, and just like, you know, if you're in a, playing a football match and there was no out of bound lines, you could, why not dribble the ball behind the goal and then come to the front of the goal and shoot it? You know, like there's right, the objects to score a goal. I scored a goal. There's no lines. How can you say I'm out of bounds when there are no boundary lines? So that's some of what gravel is struggling with, you know, like it's steamboat gravel last year, uh, Lauren DeCrescenzo, who's a phenomenally talented athlete, rides for Tom Dennison's cinch team, um, was riding with some of her male teammates for part of the time. And she eventually dropped all of them. <laughs> uh, but there was like a bit of a thing where one teammate went ahead, got a water bottle for her, dropped back and handed to her. So she didn't have to stop at uh, an aid station the way some of her other female competitors did. Okay. None of her female competitors argue that she was the strongest that day, but that was the thing where like, well, she was doing something. She had a tactical move that was different than the others. There was nothing in the rule book about that, you know? So that, that was, that was kind of like a, a pivotal point for her. It's against the spirit of gravel. And Lauren being put in awkward positions, like, well, I was trying to win the bike race. I'm a bike racer, you know, in any road race, you know, like in any world tour race that you watch, if you have teammates and you don't use your teammates, you're being a knucklehead, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, So I'm a proponent of, for big races where there's money on the line, having some basic rules. Like it's, I don't, and I don't think that having rules is contrary to being a good person. You know, it just helps establish, okay, what game are we playing here? Like, it's, you know, what's what's the size of the goals? Where are the outer bounds lines? And then, okay, let's play. Like, yeah, running uh, a bike race without rules is going to lead to problems that we see in like the, the tri bars, and they've been quite a uh, sort of a, a sore spot for some people. And the yeah. unbound uh, rider for 201 with tri bars, and there's a bit of a social media. Storm, wasn't there? I think it was a few years ago with Ted King as well. So, but if there's no rules, then I say, like, what's the what's the problem? That, that's irony. That often the people who are espousing the beauty of having no rules are often the most vocal about. Well, you've but you've got to follow the spirits. It's like, whoa! I thought it was about just being open and free. Well, it is, but according to my definition of what free is, and that's not it. 
So. <laughs> on on the subject of rules, the UCI are obviously getting into gravel, the World Championships. How yes. do you think that will impact gravel as category for racing, the spirit of gravel and all that? Yeah, I think one uh, key differentiator uh, to keep in mind with UCI is between their uh, elite level events, such as the World Tour and mountain bike and cyclocross, where you have to have a UCI license as a professional to participate. Um, you know, teams have to be invited to world tour level races. Like it's, it's pro class and their participatory uh, arms, such as the grand Fondo world series and grand Fondo world championships that they've been running for a number of years. Uh, anybody can do UCI grand Fondo stuff. And uh, you'd, and at the same time, as a Grand Fondo promoter, you don't have to be part of the UCI to put on Grand Fondos. So I think there was a, there was a lot of concern uh, initially when UCI announced the World Series that it was going to be, they're going to do to gravel what they did to mountain bike, which was make it all about chasing points to get into the Olympics. Um, and that put a squeeze on event promoters and racers and you know, the UCI effectively took control of the sport of mountain biking. Um, could they do that in the future? If gravel is put into the Olympics, yes, but I don't see that happening at least anytime soon. Um, so now I think it's going to be a non-issue and that like a, a few of the World Series events have already happened. Nobody's really, very few people have noticed or cared. <laughs> and uh, the... You know, the few gravel pros as there are haven't are, are doing other things. You know, we, I asked a number of them when it was announced, are you going to chase these World Series races and do Worlds? And Worlds, uh, the, the date and place hadn't even been announced. And the response across the board from the from the Lawrence and the Ted Kings and the Payson McElwains and the Pete Stettinos is like, well, if, if one of the races fits my schedule, yeah, maybe, but... I'm not going to change. I've already got my schedule set and I've already got sponsor commitments or just friends who put on events that I like doing. Like we're good. We've got our own program. here. <laughs> um, so I think the, the USA world series and world championships will be an additive thing. Um, I don't think it's in direct conflict. Also, uh, I, I'd have to say that a lot of these pros who are poo-pooing the world championships gravel, I think a lot of them secretly want to win because who doesn't want to have a rainbow jersey to, to the wear? Or very discipline, they even gravel. Like having right. a rainbow jersey is going to be pretty right. cool, isn't it? It's yeah. a bit dirty. <laughs> so away from racing and given how many unpaved roads you have available to ride you know, in the, most of the country, can you give a sense how popular gravel bikes are? Are people like, choosing gravel over road when they go out for a sunny ride or when they buy a new bike? Is Are people riding gravel bikes promptly? these days gravel bikes yeah, it's gravel bikes and e-bikes as you know are like the, the hot categories uh globally and, and certainly in the u.s um regionally it's a, a, a big determinant as to how many people are buying gravel versus road bikes you know roads roads not dead um okay. uh so yeah i guess the answer there with so much a second is yeah it depends you know um, but I think most bike shops will tell you and most bike brands still in the U S will tell you that yeah, gravel bikes are 
that's the hot thing right now. If you can get them in, uh, if you can get them from suppliers, from factories, from shops, those are selling like hotcakes right now. Yeah. But you don't think gravel is going to kill road cycling or road racing or road events in the US anytime soon? I don't think it's going to kill road racing or events. Um, or, or certainly like road riding, but you know, like the denser our cities get, the more difficult it is to put on events. So for example, here in Boulder, which is not a huge town, but there's almost zero road cycling events here just because permitting is an issue. Um, but if you go like one County over to where it's farm roads, it's, it's just a much easier thing for, uh, for organizers to just host events to hold events um never mind the fact that it just seems less stressful for many people to ride on a dirt road where there are no cars versus riding on a paved road with 18 wheelers brushing your elbow at 60 miles an hour Blimey. and and another difference well you can probably expand it here in the uk gravel is less about racing we don't we have the space or the wide open tracks to go racing and there's like access laws and stuff so gravel bikes become popular for people seeking that escape and freedom and bike yes. packing particularly and doing their own adventures. There are less yes. events. There are events, but there's less events and more doing their own adventures. Is that the same in the US? It sounds more like it's all about doing your gravel events rather than doing your own sort of three-day bike packing adventures or just riding to get lost in the wilderness. Yes, I think of yeah, there's I can't I don't even know how many hundreds of gravel events there are in the US now. Um uh, I think the attraction of having something on your calendar to look forward to and rally with your friends. And it's just, it's like, it's a thing. It's an event. It's a built in. You show up and there's a bunch of people there. Um, you know, for instance, this weekend I'm going to Nebraska for the Robidoux rendezvous where there is at least four, if not five shakeout rides the day before. So there's the race on Saturday, but on people are coming in you know, Thursday night to do social rides on Friday. Oh, wow. Okay. It's because there's like the pre-rides rides are a thing. And it was, you know, the same at Unbound. There was you know, probably a dozen of these like mass rides no way. Um, that aren't competitive at all. You know, the idea is just to like go out and meet people and ostensibly make sure nothing's going to fall off your bike for, for a race day. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the community aspect of events is, is a huge draw. Um, plus, I think it's a little less intimidating I mean, it certainly is for me, um, then the idea of, okay, pack up everything you'll need for three days and head off into the wilderness, hope you don't run into bears. Um, my, my buddy, Betsy Welch likes to talk about how for people, there are inside dogs and outside dogs and inside dogs of which I'm one like to go out and play and do things outside of, but then come back inside for creature comforts and sleep on a soft bed and, where she categorizes herself as an outside dog where she'll you know, she'll do a multi-day tour of Hawaii with just like a little, a little sack strapped under her handlebars. And she's like, yeah, just go off and sleep under a tree somewhere. Yeah. I think there are, <laughs> I think there are fewer outside dogs among us, at least in the U S we're, we're, we're soft over here. That's, I was going to ask a question later. Maybe ask now, like, like what is gravel? It's a, <laughs> a one clear definition. Cause I get that all the time. Like what is gravel? Like, yeah, that's a good one. You've put me on the spot and I don't, I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a concise thing. Yeah, short of going all UCI on it with you know calipers on the tires. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's just riding riding dirt roads. 
know, riding road bikes with big fat tires. With no rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but sometimes enforceable spirit. <laughs> enforceable spirit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like that. So, man, you, you've ridden loads of gravel around the US. Where's the best gravel? If if I was coming over to the US to ride the best gravel in the US, where I get the best experience, event or just dirt roads? Well, I, I'm biased in all things, and particularly location. I've you know been in Colorado for 17 years, and I it's some of the best riding in the world. Um, to bag on our neighbor Kansas a bit. I love going out there for the events, but it's, I, I would not move to Kansas okay. <laughs> in that, you know, so here in the, the front range of the Rocky mountains, we've got flat dirt roads, rolling dirt roads for days. And then we're like at the foothills of the mountains. So you can climb up, um, to you know, 3000 meters from where we are. And a lot of that is on dirt roads and that's, uh, for me, just the joy of living here is getting lost on dirt canyon roads. Um, and yeah, there are events that go along with with that. But uh, as far as as far as like a daily experience, just having the variety of flat and rolling and plains and mountains, um, that I think is is a treat. You know, I'm sure like whoever is listening to this in different parts of the world, different parts of the country, you're like, oh, that's wrong. Like, where I live is the best gravel in the world. I see. You know, like East Coasters here, like in Vermont or something, that's just like a whole other level of foliage and humidity and uh, that we don't have here in the arid, uh, arid high desert. Okay. Yes, uh, Colorado. Pretty cool. Colorado. I like it. Good for bikes. <laughs> Give <laughs> us cycling, and um, so you've been a tech journo for a few years. I think fair to say. Um, we we'll talk a bit about bikes and tech stuff. But first question, like when 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 somebody says to you a gravel bike is just a nineties mountain bike, sort of reborn. What, how do you answer that? What does make people sort of how cynical people are to gravel bikes <laughs> being a sort of a rebadged, remarketed nineties mountain bike? Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Gravel bikes, like everything that humanity does, is is just like iterative, right? You know, it's not like gravel bikes for this this brand new, never before conceived thing with no trace to a past. Um, that doesn't mean that they're identical to, um, to something from forty years ago. And and I bet the the easiest answer to that would be to you know pass you know hand someone a. a, a 30 pound eighties mountain bike and a 16 pound, you know, 2022 model gravel bike. You know, okay. Which one do you want to ride? <laughs> uh, yeah. There's some, some similarities. Um, and you know, one year to the next or, you know, the 2021 model to the 2022 model, there's not usually huge jumps, but over four decades. Yeah. There's, there, there has been quite a bit of progress. Just so, yes. yeah. so yeah. short answer, yes, they're wrong. <laughs> right answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I bought a, an old 19 mountain bike during the first lockdown, did a bit of gravel versus 19 mountain bike, and there's a huge difference when you ride an old mountain bike compared to a modern gravel bike. I mean, 
So what, you, what, like, what, what stuck out for you? As big uh, the weight for a start. I mean, the old, the old bike was really heavy. Uh, yeah. The brakes were rubbish. The gears yep. rubbish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the geometry like wasn't hugely different. Um, but yeah, it's just the technology. Just I mean, the technology in the 90s is pretty ropey, isn't it, really? And compared yes. to what we have now, lightweight carbon frames, alloy frames, hydraulic disc brakes, wires, gears, electronic gears, everything works. You stop when you want to stop rather than like tomorrow when you pull the brake lever. <laughs> <laughs> and the tyre yeah. technology as well. I mean, the tyre is actually like, the tyre width is almost the same, 1.9, 2 inch. And it also shows how better mountain bikes are compared to what they were 40 years ago as well. So. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm thankful for the innovation we've had over the last, yeah, 20, 30, 40 years. And we're not riding our bikes from the 90s anymore because I don't think I'd still be cycling if I had a bike from the 90s. Today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was com- coming down a hill here with my buddy Dave who's on rim brakes. Um, it's, it's a hill called Magnolia, which is super steep and terrible to go up, but a, a hoop to come down. And we got to the bottom and he's, we pulled over and he stopped for a while. He's like pumping his hands to get feeling back into his fingers. And he's like, my hands were locking up from like having to grip the brakes for, you know, it's like an 18 mile descent with often over double digits and lots of steep switchbacks. So like on the brakes lot. And so I've just, you know, just been using you know, one, you know, index fingers on the, on the disc brakes. I couldn't think anything of it. So that, that was just like a, a pretty good example of, big leap and 80 was, mile descent you say oh yeah 80 miles eight, 18 one eight. 18 one eight, that's yeah. insane <laughs> yeah just descending yeah. for 18 miles oh my god it's, that's like it's, it's big mountains yeah i was like very steep but very short it's like 30 seconds just like that steep <laughs> and then stop at t-junction at the bottom <laughs> yeah. yeah i've argued with this with guy kestevan for quite a bit about oh about you know a gear range and i am a fan of two by for gravel bikes instead of one by i mean like okay. now with you know eagle is you know with a 10 to you know, 50 cassette yes that's pretty good range but initially like one by I'm like well you just don't have enough rope you've got to sacrifice either climbing or or descending and have enough gears and like when you're riding in the mountains like i want to have both and he's like oh, 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 oh. there's there you said it I'm like i said what he's like mountains like most of us aren't riding in the mountains we don't need that <laughs> if you are having wide range gearing I mean, yeah that's something you look back at a mountain biker from the 80s of a triple ring uh, yeah but so, yeah, besides the weight like that's not an optimum experience in my humble opinion that's a lot of uh, shifting so but, on, yeah. on that on that note what are kind of popular tech trends in the gravel market in the US for you or locally from the right you see is it two by one by sort of tire width one by oh really yeah one by forty is the is the new standard. Uh, on a seven hundred C wheel. Yeah, honestly, yeah, for sure. Yeah, six fifty is not a thing is, at all. Is that, do you think that's gone away then? I've I've wondering about this the other day. Like a few years ago, everyone was talking about it being like like the next big thing, but now it doesn't seem to be manufacturers aren't specking it so much. And it's... I'm I'm not seeing it. No, I, I think it was just a, it's just too much rubber, and that's something. Some things we can't feel and we'll tell ourselves on group rides or on chat rooms. We'll lecture each other about the minutia of things that we, if given the Pepsi challenge, if given a blind test, could not discern. Okay. But uh, rotational weight, we can. I think normal people, if, if you know, you go from, like just like you go from your road bike to a mountain bike, you can feel the difference in all the, the weight of the rubber 
when you just start to accelerate away from the stop sign or at the bottom of the hill, whatever, you can feel that. So yeah, 650, you can put a big fat tire on there, which is good for suspension. And that feels nice. You can definitely feel the comfort, but you also feel like you're lugging around a lot of rubber. So yeah, 700C, 40 mil tire. That's, I think that's the sweet spot for most of us. And what's your view on um, suspension? We're seeing suspension forks, seat posts, have a sort of quite creative solution. Do you think that's a step too far? Take it too close to a mountain bike or do you think it's just enough? Hmm. I don't know about a step too far. Like if my take is like, whatever you like to ride, have at it. You know, I don't think there's too far, like too, too middling to like, you know, if, if it works for you, go for it. Um, for me, I feel like the gravel suspension often the 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 juice isn't worth the squeeze there's too much weight or complexity without enough uh benefit you know like if you're riding a suspension mountain bike like that that is a plush thing you can charge over baby head rock fields and and be just float through it um but like, you know, to pick on BMC, for instance, you know, they've got the, the LT, there's the Urs LT long travel, 20 ferocious millimeters of travel of which five is sag. So you've got 1.5 centimeters yeah. of travel. Like that's not, that's not really doing a whole lot. No. Um, and I think people get it in their heads. Like, well, now I've got a full suspension thing. Now I can ride it like a 140 mil mountain bike, you know, at the, at the, BMC launch, we must have had 15 flats in one ride because there's wow, a lot of mountain bike journals, journal, <clears throat> mountain bike journalists were like, hey, we're on a full suspension bike, let's send it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it just flatting left and right. Um, that said, a, a little bit, I think this for me, the sweet spot is a long carbon fiber post with some give to it where there's not, it's not a mechanical thing. There's not certainly not a hydraulic suspension thing. I don't go in for dropper posts because that compromises the, the softening ride of a carbon post. Yeah. But I think that, that works well. You know, like an unbound gravel, I, I took the giant revolt. It's got a long seat post and like that, That's that feels point. good. Yeah. Um, and feels noticeably different than like say a rigid stiff aero bike of yore when you, know, you could ride over different coins and discern just by the vibration in your spine uh, what you're hitting um and then like this the specialized diverge like the, with the feature shock <clears throat> that feels pretty good and i like the fact that there's a a, a lockout um when it's something bigger like you know, Easton or you know, Fox or uh, you know, RockShocks have suspension forks, but are still low travel. To... Yes, that's smoother for sure. And when you're in the saddle, that's smoother. But standing up and turning it, there's there's just more weight on the front end. And and for me, I I don't feel that that is worth it. One of the things I've always liked about gravel, and it's why I used to ride cross bike back in the days, like that sort of being underbiked. Like it's not the mm-hmm. perfect bike for the riding and it's all you know quite a bit more riding skill and because bikes have got so good with road bikes and mountain bikes and like mountain bikes especially you can ride down stuff and not even notice what you're riding over sure. which are great but the speed you have to go to get that sense of 
that thrill is pretty scary. The consequences of crash. <laughs> but the gravel bike, yeah. you don't go very far. And you're like, oh my god, it's terrifying. You're doing like ten miles an hour down the bumpy trail. <laughs> that's and I, I, I like the benefits of suspension. I rode that rock shot fork, and I'm really impressed with it. But then it's like, yes, it makes it faster and smoother. But then is it getting away from that idea of being on the bike to not be on the perfect bike? Which I sort of like the simplicity of a bike. Yes. Just you have to sort of compensate for the lack of technology. Yes. Like bending your arms and whatever else you're doing. <laughs> yes. 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 I remember the, the first time I went to Whistler was Shimano was launching their Saint group, which was you know, downhill group. And I was way out of my element. But as you said, like the bikes are so good. You know, you could just, you don't have to pick a line. I just you know, would close my eyes and follow people. And ah, yeah, you get in way over your head, way too yeah, quickly yeah. because the bike can suck it up. Um, and, and yeah, conversely, if you were riding that on a rigid bike, you'd have to pick lines and build your skills to, to get down in one piece. So, Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's something that and another piece is just like the weight weenieism of it, of, of if you're trying to go faster than you did la yesterday or last week, adding weight to your bike kind of feels like you're going the wrong direction. So, so gravel is clearly hugely popular. But do you think it's a fad or is it going to be here in the next five, 10 years? And if it is going to be here in the next five, 10 years, where do you see it evolving to from where it is now? I think it, it's not a fad. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's trendy now for sure. Um, like anything that humans do, we kind of follow each other around like lemmings. I, I do believe it'll be here in 10 years and I think it will uh, kind of break into a couple of niches the way mountain biking has, you know, like in the beginning when God and goddess created mountain biking, like there was just mountain bike. There weren't, you know, it wasn't enduro and downhill and cross country and down country and all these you know, different things. It was just one thing. And now we're already seeing um, you know, people talk about fast gravel, uh, versus you know a more like bike packy gravel so yeah i think we'll see brands commit to that a bit you know right now you know brands are they're in business for business they want to sell as much stuff as possible and we're seeing there's like two ways to do that with bikes one is okay we're going to have a bike packing bike over here and then on the far other end we'll have a completely different super light racy aero gravel race bike <clears throat> that's one approach and another approach is to have one bike that can supposedly do all the things, but none of them really well. Like, okay, well, if you want to have long travel, you can disassemble your rear end and have this super long travel, super wide tire bike, or you can spend a bunch of time reconfiguring it and engineering your bike and it's a race bike and there's bolts you can use, you don't have to use, whatever. Um, I think more brands will commit to that. Okay, this is our gravel race bike. So segmentation is I guess what I'm trying to get at in a long winded way. Yeah, I agree with that. that sort of fast gravel on one side and eventually bike packing, fat tide, almost mountain bikes on one end and then a few in between. Yeah. More choice yeah. for the way people are riding these bikes in different ways and we're racing or doing epic adventures. So um so good. Finally, last question. You're going for a ride today, this afternoon. What bike are you grabbing and why? Sure. Uh this afternoon I'm going to Right, um, there's a, a <laughs> there's a group right here in Boulder called Fast Gravel. Like that's the okay. name of the thing. Um, where when you're on the dirt segments, that's like the game on, and everybody's 
racing it and then you get on the pavement and then that's a regroup section so i love love that format. okay <clears throat> the, the bike i am choosing today david is the uh checkpoint which i just put aero bars on yesterday um, air, yeah man we, we can stop now if you want. <laughs> <laughs> because <podcast>. because <laughs> Uh, can't you just accept who I am? The spirit of gravel. <laughs> anyway, current way. So, so wind, wind is a thing here. Uh, like this weekend, I said I'm going to Nebraska for this race. And I was using my. I'm just. I'm going to give you a fully dorky answer here. Uh, one of my favorite apps is called Epic Ride Weather. I don't know if you've seen this. Oh no! I got, you got to check this out, man. Um, uh david green started this as a just a pet project to see what his the weather would be on his commute and developed it so well that uh yumbo visma has been using it for years for racing and that you you put your route in you know strava ride with gps whatever just auto loads select the date time and your average speed and then it spits out uh, a weather forecast for the route at each point on the thing and it's handy to see temperature you know, in real time all the way around. But the, the cool part is the wind direction and speed shown graphically with arrows. So like the bigger the arrows, the stronger the wind. So you can just at a glance, see like, okay, we're going to be a uh, first half screaming tailwind latter half, just crawling into a headwind. So, um, it's going to be windy this weekend. Uh, physics is a thing. Um, <laughs> So I want to have air bars and I want to make sure they, it's, they're not going to slip or whatever, you know, so I'm, I'm dialing my stuff in. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure the gravel gods be stroking the chins at this use of technology to get a, <laughs> an advantage <laughs> in the wind. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But then on, you know, for tomorrow there's a number of different shakeout rides and one uh, group's putting on a, a ride where it's a t-shirt ride. You got to, you know, the whole thing show up in t-shirts like t-shirt stuff taking yourself so dang seriously you nerds in your skin suits and and uh, aero bars just come ride a bike like a normal person so yeah we didn't even get into fashion did we t-shirt yeah. versus skin suits and and jorts and yeah. mustaches and yeah that's that'll have to be a whole separate uh whole separate no, yeah episode two yeah <laughs> fantastic then uh well thanks for your time love to learn about gravel from a u.s perspective and uh well, enjoy your ride this afternoon and, and the race at the weekend and um uh, catch up with you soon hopefully my pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. Good to chat with you. That, I think you agree, was a really interesting and insightful conversation. And I definitely learned a few things about US gravel and how it compares to the rest of the world. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode as well. And if you did, make sure to follow the Just Ride Bikes podcast and leave a good review as well. But that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening.